What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, good evening to you, sir. Uh, I'm doing... Hello. Oh, hello. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm glad that we're back to our evening podcast recording times. The... Uh, I listened back to our episode from last week, and I have to say, you could kind of tell that we recorded during the middle of a work day, and we were both kind of in a bit of a work mindset. Yeah, it was like we were, well, yeah, I guess in in terms of just showing up to your 9 to 5 to just get in, get a paycheck, and get out, that's sort of the attitude we took to the show last week, that's for sure. Yeah, the the cursing was way down. Uh, Fortunately, we had... Hugo in town to keep a, a curse tracker and uh, you can get your numbers up a little bit was basically what what I heard. Oh, okay. So feel free to let it rip this evening, Graham. But I mean, we got the info out there. People, people I, understood the Falcons lost to the saints, but I, I think we need to give it a little more um, huzzah this week. Maybe we need to be like the Falcons defense under Raheem Morris. Sure. Yeah. Just blasting people left and right. And right. speaking of blasting people and giving a little more, I've got a new segment, Graham. It's called Facts from the Sports and His... No, sorry. Run that back. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Facts from the Sports in Atlanta Wikipedia page. This thing is just... I mean, there's just so much amazing Atlanta sports history on this Wikipedia page. And now Adam, your segment here is riding on the ability of you to deliver here. So, I mean, if this is bad, this will get shut down. Okay, I think this is a good one, Graham. Here's the first ever fact on the sports in Atlanta Wikipedia page. Atlanta played host to the second intercollegiate football game in the South played between the A&M College of Alabama, which is now Auburn University, and the University of Georgia. Guess where that game was played, Graham, in 1892? I'll give you three guesses. I'll take a guess without your guess, or without you giving me options. I'll say Savannah. Well, keep in mind <laughs> that this... Uh, this is an Atlanta sports yeah, podcast. Also, this, as I said, this segment is from the Sports in Atlanta wikipedia page so right so that doesn't really uh, i was trying to think that maybe a trick question or something but i'm pretty sure i'm I'm off i guess it it had to to have been played in atlanta your your segment has failed it failed to capture me as a listener you have you have Uh, failed savannah is not in atlanta i guess i could have (laughs) been a little more clear and say what uh site in atlanta location did this game take place Sanford Stadium. In 1892, Graham, 1892. I know, I know. I was being silly on that one, That, uh, but the first time was legitimate when I said Savannah. What site? Um, it's not where Fulton County was erected, I would assume, which was 66 when that happened. It's, it's a place that still uh, exists, and uh, it still you, exists. You might go, I, well, you personally, I don't know how often you go there, but I was there a couple weeks ago couple weeks ago breaking covid protocols 
It's it's uh, outdoors. Well, I figured that much. Piedmont yes. Park. Wow, that was that was just a lucky guess. Excellent work, Graham. Excellent work. That's the first ever. That's pretty wild. And sporting event happening i know that's what i thought that's why as soon as i read it i was like oh i gotta make this a segment so there's your uh you know first little fact off the sports in atlanta wikipedia page i'll credit them fantastic and that's the end of that segment well i think your your yeah i think your your segment will live to to see another day live to fight another day as farmer fran would say and I should be fired from the show, I think. For thinking that Savannah is in Atlanta? Yeah, for yeah, for saying Savannah when you're like, that's where it was playing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, with that said, we, we can fast forward to 2020 if you want to, Graham, and discuss anything that's happened in the last week. Yeah, let's talk about everything that – or excuse me. Yeah, let's talk about the thing that everybody wants to hear about, Adam, which was huge news that happened recently, the signing of Johan Camargo to a one-year deal. Mm. Well, I think it's a little more in-depth than that, Graham. He rejected going to arbitration, where he would have made $1.6 million, and instead accepted his $1.3 million because he knows that's still probably double what he would get on the open market. So Johan's back, baby. I don't right, yeah. I can't wait. Big news. Big news out of Atlanta. Grant Dayton was also signed to a nine hundred thousand dollar contract today. I'll take I'm and, fine with that. Yeah, that's fine. More if we're talking if, I don't I think that's the only Braves news. Well if if we're talking Braves, I do need to see this re this bullpen kind of remain close to intact. There's still Mark Mark Melanson well, still up in the air. Yeah, I was about to say there are question marks with for him. Shane Green is he a question I mark? I think also there's somewhat Shane Shane Green's a question mark too, I believe. So yeah, that'd be two, those would be two huge pieces missing from the bullpen if those guys were to yeah, leave. Yeah, he is a free agent currently. So early December is generally when. We start to see some track on these free agents, so something should be popping up. And I guess it's a good sign that you know this Grant Dayton and Johan Camargo thing happened because that means there could be, uh, you know, more uh, bullets getting loaded in the chamber, as they say. Right. So we'll keep it our, our eye on it, Graham. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely keep track of what's going on with the hot stuff. Hopefully, there's some more exciting moves coming down the pipe, or if not that exciting at least moves that make you feel good as a fan, the sense of uh, a hole has been filled or uh, a hole is saved in the sense of uh, the bullpen if we're able to get back Melanson and Shane Green. Indeed, Graham, indeed. All right, let's talk Falcons, Adam. Everybody's favorite football team put on a hell of a display on Sunday particularly on the defensive side of the ball. The offensive side of the ball was kind of a train wreck, I thought. Um, Didn't look good. Matt Ryan threw 17 incompletions, threw for under 200 yards. Did throw two touchdowns, but did not look sharp. Had a QBR of 32.3. 
he looked uh, just kind of lost all day. He was only sacked once. Not, uh, back-to-back bad games for Matt. The running game was also pretty subpar. Um, Brian Hill, who I was had high hope, I've had 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 high hopes for for years now. Adam uh, got a chance to start. Only got 13 carries and got 55 yards. Edo Smith actually outrushed him uh, for 65 yards and got a touchdown. And then offensively, Julio wasn't in there. Calvin Ridley had an okay game. Everyone else was just sort of there. Not a lot of big big numbers to report or uh, a lot of catches for anybody. As I said, Ridley led the way with six catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. But the defense, Adam, this is the best defensive game that the Falcons have ever played and the defense won this game Falcons won 43 to 6 had five turnovers and also recorded five sacks as a team I don't remember the last time I saw a Falcons defense this dominant uh in any game let alone be a regular season or postseason yeah to say it was a surprising result would be an understatement I uh I, I was personally traveling just doing a little uh, South Georgia day trip with the family. And I wasn't following the game at all. So once it was over, my brother had the box score and asked me to guess the score of the game. And I assumed we got blown out by 20 or 30. But I was like, well, you know, maybe since he's asking, we, we snuck a win out or something like that. Then he told me the box score. 42-6, he said, right? 43-6. Yeah. yeah so anyways, I, I, w- I was stoked, not because we won, because I kind of wanted, as I said last week, it's time for the losing to commence. But I had Matt Ryan and Hayden Hurst and Fantasy. So I figured I must have crushed it. And then I saw that they basically did nothing, and I didn't understand how the hell a team puts up 42 points with a mediocre offense and – I guess they showed how you do it there. The defense was just dominant, and Derek Carr was overwhelmed by the Atlanta Falcons after beating the Chiefs the previous week. It's it's a weird league sometimes, Graham. So Very weird. weird. Yeah. Derek Carr looked lost in the headlights. He personally fumbled three balls and lost all, all three of his fumbles turned out to be turnovers. Anytime it felt like the Raiders were actually getting some momentum going, they turned the football over. And then Carr also threw a pick six to Deion Jones. He, he was flummoxed. He was actually benched in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was pathetic. Uh, he threw for 215 yards and a pick and was sacked three times. And then his backup, Nathan Peterman, was sacked twice. And, Adam, I'll, I'll say this about the defense. A week after Tack McKinley – was it a week after Tack McKinley was let go or two weeks after Tack McKinley was let go? Defense really showed up, particularly the defensive line. I'm going to give you a name that you probably haven't heard before. Jacob – Tuioti Mariner led the team with six tackles, a sack, and a forced fumble, and a fumble recovered. And he made the best play I've seen a Falcons defensive end make since John Abraham. This is not hyperbole. He goes around a tackle unblocked using what looked like pretty great speed and hits Derek Carr from his blind side. Carr fumbles. Tuioti Mariner gets up runs to the ball, and the ball is not just fumbled like right in front of Carr. It's fumbled like 20 feet away from him. Gets up, gets to it before anyone else can touch it, jumps on the football, grabs it, and it was just like a one-man wrecking crew. Sack, fumble, 
fumble, sack, forced fumble, fumble recovery. It was brilliant. And it, it got me... Unfortunately, this game kind of got me excited. Oh, no, grammed. And I know I have to temper my, my, my excitement. Not for this year, but just seeing this effort was great. But we also have to keep in mind that the Raiders haven't been a great offensive team this year, despite the fact they're 6-5. and five. They start out the season 6-3, and three, even though they beat the Chiefs. This is not a great offensive team. This is not a time to anoint Raheem Morris as, you know, the next coach of the Falcons. And I'm still concerned. I still have a lot of concerns, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, in terms of the direction we're heading right now. But you got to give the defense their due this day. They played their asses off, forcing turnovers, creating tons of pressure, and single-handedly winning the game. The offense did jack shit. It was pretty much the defense and your boy, Young Koi Koo, who was 5-for-5 five five on field goals, the 54-yarder as is along on the day. I'll tell you what, though, man. It's so much easier watching a football team with a good defense and an offense with just enough to get it done that's not going to screw it up for you, you know? I'm I'm okay with that route. Right. I, I don't know if Jacob Tuioti Mariner is uh, our saving grace, but he's he's certainly been coming around a little bit. I mean, he's kind of – I heard – the only thing I heard about him until this week was that he was solid on special teams. But, you know, his uh, – Yeah, I think he's getting a chance now with Tack out. He's been playing more, and he finally makes a big play. And he did a hell of a lot more in this one play – then damn Dante Fowler Jr.'s done the entire season. Yeah, that's that's 100% true. And I, and I was looking at some of the other guys. I mean, because the Raiders, they'd only given up 16 sacks all year. So it's not like they have the worst offensive line in the league or anything like that. And you look at some of the other guys who got sacks. I know Stephen Means had one and John Kaminsky had one. Guys yep. that we don't expect to see much out of especially not sacks so you got to ask why is it just all about the scheming that Raheem's doing versus Dan Morris that Dan Morris (laughs) 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 versus Dan our hero Dan Morris versus Dan Quinn to where he's putting guys in positions another I I actually watched a little film this week Graham and uh, oh man didn't watch the game but he watched film exactly you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to prove myself here, and sure, something that seemed to be making a difference on, I think it was one of the first uh, strip sacks, was your boy, our boy, really, Marlon Davidson, being healthy and in the middle, and on that play, you see him taking two bodies up in the middle, which allowed Grady to roll out and then you got both of those ends on the sides closing because they're they're just one-on-one so having that big body in Davidson alongside Grady it's gonna allow guys like Jacob Tuioti Mariner to get sacks and like you don't have to have superstar DNs you just have to have a system and you know having two big guys in the middle it's gonna make the rest of the defense so much better so I've been wanting to, over the next five games, that's a guy I want to keep watching, see what Marlon's going to do, because I think we thought he'd have more of an impact than he has had so far this year. And if we can get his confidence up and rolling going into next year with whatever coach we have, keep Grady happy, that's nothing but exciting there. So that that was uh, the one thing that I noticed that could explain how some of these guys are having bigger games all of a sudden. 
besides coaching. I don't know how to quantify coaching, but that's something that I just saw. That's a great point. Really great point. And I think, you know, that's something we've been wanting is more support for Grady on the interior of the line. Whoever his battery mate is on the, in the middle of the defensive line has to be able to fulfill that role. And the fact that that was happening, I think you're exactly right. That's a, that's a, a great domino avalanche effect, however, whatever metaphor you want to make in terms of bettering the entire line and opening up guys to make plays. And another thing that was I thought was pretty interesting about this game was was the amount of times the Raiders uh, were flagged 11 times for 141 yards. They also uh, Koo actually missed a field goal, but they rolled in. Uh, they hit him after the play. So that extended that drive. Uh, you know, there's just tons of sort of like bonehead uh, mistakes. They also picked Matt Ryan off of the there's a face mask call that uh made that made that play go back um so the Raiders also shot themselves in the foot a million times not just with the turnovers but with the with the flags as well yeah I mean it was it was a pleasant day of watching football but also kind of pissed you off because you're like well you know where the hell has this been and it's eerily similar to how last year wound up with us doing a lot better in the second half of the season you d- we did finally get a win against a quality team, which I assume will be our only win against a quality team the rest of the year. My my fear is that the ownership still drinks too much of the Kool-Aid and prematurely could potentially reward Raheem Morris uh, before the season even Here, ends. Here's the thing. Which I think would be a huge yeah, mistake. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't, I don't want to, yeah. You can't get into this one game, oh my God, we beat the Raiders, you know, as if it's... The 1980s or something. Here's the thing. I mean, you could. This is not not your father's You can rage. certainly argue that Raheem Morris might deserve to be an NFL head coach again. And this year is different because it's different for Dan Quinn to go one and seven, or one and yeah, what was he one and seven and then six and one down the stretch or whatever. Whatever it was, something it's, like that. It's different because and Arthur Blank just screwed us here because. You flip that around and you start off seven and one and close the season one and six, you're getting fired. So it's so dumb that he didn't get fired last year. And now Raheem is in this situation where if he closes out the next four games, four and one, that's a real decision to be made that we should have already been clear and done with and onto our next regime. And the biggest thing against Raheem in my eyes right now is that he's part of that Dan Quinn era and that coaching staff. And even if he does deserve to be an NFL coach, we just got to start wipe it clean. Like you, you got to get a GM, get his coach in there at the end of the day. Like we can't just keep piecemealing this like this. And it sucks for Raheem. And I think he has done a great job. And obviously the people are listening to him, but we got to start clean. Everyone's got to be gone. Everyone. We can't get rid of the coordinators and yeah, keep Raheem if, again. I, I don't think this is a yeah because I could I could see the same damn thing happening next year. It's happened too many times. Yeah, yeah. And then what happens? Yeah, with Raheem, you know, we you, start off one and six. Oh shit! Now what? Right. And another thing too is that you got to get another offensive coordinator in here because the offense looked completely lost against the Raiders. There were there were plays, uh, maybe not multiple plays, but there was one play in particular where like Hayden Hurst ran into a receiver. Guys don't know what they're doing on offense. Um, and the, the play design is bad. These short passes are just pissing me off. It's like 
some reason, uh, Dirk loves to run on second and long, and he loves to do stupid short passes and screen passes on third and long. And it's just bad play calling. Doesn't he doesn't he rarely opens up the field anymore, which is something he used to love to do. Would be to you know, especially in his first stint in Atlanta, was to you know try to air the ball out deep. And we we just don't see that enough anymore. And the majority of these plays are easy, you know, easily identifiable runs, lack of bootlegging, lack of play action as much as we should be doing, which is where Matt has been successful in this West Coast offense, and then really bad short passes that don't allow guys to get enough separation. And you got Hayden Hurst running into people, and and you know it's just the offense looks like shit. I don't care that Todd Gurley was not in the game. That doesn't make a big difference. Um, he's also not the future of, of this backfield. I don't know who that is at this point. But the offense looks like dog shit. And the problem is, if you retain Raheem, I doubt that he's going to want to get rid of Cutter at this point, given their coaching brotherhood. I mean, maybe he would. Yeah. I, but Cutter's offense has looked like dog shit the whole year. I would think much. that that would be the only way that Raheem could get the job if he's just like in the interview. Like, obviously... I would get a new offensive coordinator, but right. I think that would have to happen because this offense was terrible in a game where you, where you get 43 points. uh, It was bizarre how much the offense was not a factor in sort of dominating the game like that, you know, and and providing those points. Yeah, they scored, but the defense did 90% of the work. If your kicker is kicked eight field goals in the last, two weeks that doesn't only mean you have a good kicker it also means your offense can't finish drives like they could they could have dropped what what was it five turnovers plus the turnover on downs like you should be putting up 50 points at least 50 55 points with those types of numbers and this game yeah well then it it also sucks where you got like when they actually do get a wide open guy and uh, Zacchaeus on that first drive, and he yeah, Zacchaeus drops, drops that it. ball. Yeah, and I, I, I hear that he is. Yeah, I don't know how if where he got hurt. Maybe it's just his pride from dropping that ball. <laughs> but I heard that he is out, and your boy Laquan Treadwell, who we thought was going to make the team at the beginning of the year, he's been on the practice squad. And he's coming up this week to play against the Saints, which he, I mean, he's that former first-round pick, didn't do much in Minnesota, but he at least plays like this. He plays outside like Julio does, so to where you can keep Calvin comfortable versus where Calvin had to move into that Julio role when it was Zacchaeus filling in. So maybe the offense will look a little bit better with Treadwell than Zacchaeus. I don't know. Yeah, there there was, I will say this, there was one good play in the red zone where Matt Ryan hit Calvin Ridley with a really good pass for the touchdown. That was actually a good play call. But it's like those things feel like anomalies at the end of the day when the offense just over and over again, it's just like it seems like we're making bad play call after bad play call, not putting anyone in a position to be successful. And it's just getting really frustrating to watch when you realize you've got, you know, Matt Ryan as your quarterback, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst, uh, you know, when Julio's healthy, Julio, you know, you you expect that offense to be able to just slaughter people, and they haven't really been doing that this year. That's not to say we haven't had games where we've done well offensively, but more times than not, it just feels like we're really 
mediocre at best. Yeah, it seems like a lot of those games that we do look decent, that is because of the talent and not Cutter setting us up. I mean, I guess you got to give right. Cutter some credit, but yeah, you're right. He, he runs such a conservative game plan, and it just seems like every first down's a struggle, and we never get rolling yeah. like the years of a cup, the teams of a couple of years ago. Yeah, hell, even Sark was able to get more out of this offense than freaking. Well, now Cutter. now Sark is like one Jesus. of the hottest coaching commodities out there. So we watch. Yeah, watch him. Watch him go coach in the NFL next year and win a fucking Super Bowl. That would just be, I don't know what I'd do at that point. I, I know we've dis- we've discussed this multiple times before, but, you know, if Sark is in year four right now, who knows what this offense looks like? I mean, Sark was never the problem. Yeah, he might. I think he was the problem that first year. I think that was a big issue that first year because we had a good defense that year. We had pretty much a top 10-ish defense in just almost every stat. One of the few years Matt Ryan had a good defense, and the offense sucked the whole season. And I think for that offense to have such a decline in quality, I'm not saying it's all on Sark, but him coming in was the new variable and equated to a very underperforming offense with great players all around. Not and We also had a much better backfield than so I will say that I think that first year Sark was bad, but the years after he improved, and that last year that Matt Ryan was under him, I mean Matt almost put up a, a pretty much damn near identical uh, stat line that he did during his MVP season. So Sark was definitely progressing and figuring out. I don't think he ever should have been hired in the first place because that ruined a chance to actually win the Super Bowl that year. But yeah, I'm not going to sit here and say that's it's Sark's fault that uh you know we didn't get to the promised land because i put that once again on dan quinn for making bad decisions with his coaching staff and then dan quinn was even worse when he fires both sark and uh whoever it was our, our old defensive coordinator marquan Manuel. yeah the the year when we had all those injuries you know that was dan quinn just being like oh it's those guys fault they're not mine and then the people he brings in are even worse which was himself and, and <laughs> I think another thing, yeah, <laughs> the thing, the thing that was fascinating to me about this defensive, just a defensive effort in general is that, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but like Raheem Morris was the defensive coordinator the whole year until Qu- uh, Quinn was fired. And yet we've seen this complete turnaround now that Jeff Ulbrich has been the defensive coordinator. So how much of this also is just Jeff Ulbrich? Because remember, Jeff Ulbrich also was calling plays, I think, on either first and second down or third down last year when Quinn made Raheem Morris and Ulbrich the co-defensive coordinators or whatever. So how much of this defensive turnaround is also due to the work of Jeff Ulbrich? Here's the thing about Ulbrich is he was our linebackers coach, right, for the last, like, five years? Something like that. Would you say that we have done a good job developing linebackers over the last five years? I'd say, I'd say somewhat. I mean, you look at, you know, there's definitely been some misfires, like your Duke Riley's total misfire. But then you look at a guy like Foyer, who's really drastically improved and is, being, you know, is potentially a pro bowl. That's the, that's might, the, might the one the I can think of. Because, like, so. Dion is Dion better than he was his rookie year? I don't think so. Probably not. I think he's regressed in some ways in terms of reading the run. Um, a lot of times he'll get caught sort of in no man's land 
then there are other times he makes great plays. But, but like, yeah, I feel like that rookie season he had was just a, he was an absolute I monster. Mean, that's the thing about Foyer compared to Dion this year is Foyer makes all those routine plays, but then he can also make the spectacular play. I feel like with Dion, you still see those missed tackles from him and just being in the wrong place, yeah. which yeah. he has all the talent to be a superstar. And like we, we see him getting utilized a lot better under Raheem Morris, but he hasn't gotten any better. I mean, he just disappeared for like a couple of years and now he's kind of back. But like from what he was his rookie year, if you develop him properly, I mean, he could have been a Ray Lewis type, man. And what, what was what was that other our second rounder that we had that left a couple of years ago? Oh, yeah, it was Devondre, Devondre Campbell, like a guy his rookie year. We thought he was really going to blossom into something great. And he's just kind of OK. And I don't know if you put that on Ulrich, but like if I don't know if this is what you're proposing. But if you're thinking about like bringing an Ulrich back, I, I would disagree. No, I don't think you bring it back. I'm just talking about this year. I wonder how much of the defensive turnaround can be attributed to him because everybody's jerking off Raheem Morris. But I wonder, but like the point I was making was like defense was trash under Raheem Morris. Now that Raheem Morris has moved into the head coach position, I'm sure he's had something to do with the defensive turnaround. But Jeff Ulbrich, I think, also deserves some credit is all I'm saying for this year. I think he's been kind of uh, lost in the weeds a little bit with the whole coaching transition that's been yeah, going on. That's fair. Yeah, he's done. He's done a good job. It's just... I don't know, man. I, I kind of just want this season to end, and well, personally, I, I would like—I would love to be talking about some Hawks basketball, which which is coming. Twenty days, Graham. Twenty days. But I just want to move on yep. and know that we're not going to keep these same coaches and just kind of be because we've got talent. All like you see the talent on the defensive side. Like AJ Terrell is clearly the best rookie corner that was drafted this year. And we got him at Yeah, he's been playing he's been playing great. He got burned on one play and Twitter freaked out uh, earlier in the early in the game the first half. Yeah. But you know, it was it was a contested play. It wasn't like he was awful. He was just a little out of position and barely missed tipping a ball away. But like everybody wigged out and then I can't remember who it was. I think it was Jarvis from ninety two nine the game was like, Y'all need to just shut the fuck up. The guy's been playing great. Any corner might have, you know, made the same mistake. Like he, he was still there. And then he played great defense the rest of the way. I agree. I think that A.J. Terrell, there's thrown to the Wolves, complete baptism by fire this year. And I think he's exceeded expectations. I, I know he looked a little sluggish at the beginning, to me, a little bit in terms of reading where guys were going to go. But he still was competent. Now it feels like he's taking the, the next step in this back half of the season to being, I wanna, I'm not going to sit here and say shut down corner or anything like that. But, but he's not getting as many targets anymore. And when he does get targeted... He's making plays. He's not letting any play get away from him. So I think he's doing a, a really nice job. And even Isaiah Oliver's doing a better job as the year's gone on. Oliver, so Oliver's in the slot now where he, he belongs. Yeah, I think that was a big reason why he, his play has done better. Him on the outside is just a disaster against sort of game-breaking receivers, uh, particularly that Dallas game when he was up against Cooper. Uh, that was just that was a nightmare. Well, that's another thing you got to think about. Another variable for why this defense has suddenly figured it out. Remember, Terrell was out for a couple of games towards the beginning of the year with uh, the COVID, as they call it. And when he came right. back, that whole defense, that secondary, just really fell in line. And 
Yeah. I think getting Sheffield back was big yeah. too as well. Sure. So I mean, we, we've got the talent. So I, I just hope, and I think in football, you don't really, it's not like basketball or baseball. You kind of got to tear it all down. I think just get a real NFL head coach in here and a GM that knows what the hell he's doing. And like, we have some talent to just tweak a little bit and be back. We just, uh, we just need someone to light a fire under these guys' ass at the beginning of the year and have them prepared to recover an onside kick and to not fall into the yeah, end zone. Simple as that. Yeah. It's just these little things, right? And I, I'm going to be really interested to watch how the little things are executed against these teams that are Super Bowl hopefuls like New Orleans again. Yeah, we saw they were clearly in another class when we played them, even though they had Taysom Hill under center. Tampa Bay, even though I know they struggle, they still got Tom Brady and they still have a beast of receiving core. And then you play Kansas City, defending champs. So it's like, how are we going to do in terms of executing against those teams? If, if, uh, uh, and I think, I think, I think that this will really go a long way to determine Raheem Morris's fate. If he's able to beat one of these teams, that that could potentially sway Arthur. I'm not, I'm not saying you want that to happen, but I'm saying if it does, that conversation gains a lot of heat. I mean, it'd have to be more than one. Like, take a winning record against those teams, and then it's another conversation. But but what if they beat the Chiefs? What if they beat the Chiefs? I'm just saying, what if they beat yeah, the Chiefs? Yeah, but I, you also wonder how much of it is like, like the Raiders coming off their huge win against the Chiefs, and then it's the lowly Falcons. And, and going cross and going Yeah, cross like country. I wonder how much of it is just people not – preparing for us as well as they would a normal league or taking us lightly because they see the record right. and maybe they haven't realized how much better the defense has played since since Dan yeah. Morris left. So Dan Morris. Yeah. yeah, let's call him that for now. And I'm, I'm, t- I'm tired of hearing Quinn's name. We got to move on from the guy. Me too. Dan Morris. Dan, Dan yeah. Morris. Henceforth, he'll be known as yeah. Dan Morris. Yeah. In, intern Jared, can you take note of that? Anytime we refer to Quinn, it's Morris. Thank you. And yeah, so it could be a little bit of that as well. Like I feel like that's like what always happens to the Atlanta Hawks when they do get some wins. It's like over a big team. It's like the Hawks, the losing Hawks. Hopefully we don't have those losing Hawks anymore, but it's like just people not being fully prepared for them. So it could be a little bit of that, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. After stopping the Raiders, that might open some people's eyes a little bit to prepare for us like we're a real opponent. Yeah, and you know that uh, I'm about to call him Sean Morris for some reason. I got we got Morris on the brain now. Sean Payton is going to be prepared. <laughs> he's dominated us. He's dominated us pretty much his whole career, and especially the last few times we've met up with the Saints, they just kicked our asses. So game will be in Atlanta, and Taysom Hill will be under center again. And the one thing I'm really looking for for this game is offensive improvement, offensive adjustment. We've got to protect Matt Ryan. He also has to get rid of the ball sooner. Uh, I think a lot of those sacks that he suffered was uh, due to him holding the ball under the ball too long. That's also on the receivers for not getting open, but he's got to get the get rid of the ball and not take as many sacks as he as he did. That's a huge thing, I think, for this game against the Saints. Can we construct a game plan to protect Matt and get the ball out quicker? in order to get the offense moving. And also maybe take some more shots down the field. I mean, that first drive took a huge shot to Calvin Ridley, and it worked out. We didn't throw the ball downfield like that for the rest of the damn game. So it's like, what the hell, you know, 
but I fear we're just going to get the same conservative cutter offense with your, you know, once or twice a game, you'll take a shot downfield uh, sort of mindset. But I, I don't have very high expectations for this game because our offense is bad. Their defense is really good and kicked our butt just two weeks ago. And their offense has done a good job with Hill under center. I mean, I know they played the Broncos this week. They still put up 31 points and we're doing a good job running the ball. So it's like, I mean, the sad part is, is that the last few weeks you're just watching Falcons games with this, this sort of, at least I am with this, uh, uh, this sort of morose malaise, you know, watching this, these games play out when you realize you have virtually zero shot at the playoffs. And it feels like you're just watching Julio Jones and Matt Ryan kind of like march to their end of their careers, mired in muck and mediocrity and dirt cutter. And it's just, it's not, it's not even depressing. It's just kind of like it turns you into a bit of a apathetic loser. And I'm tired of feeling like that. So I'm, I want to try to get a little bit more up for the Saints game if I can, which will be a struggle. That's what I did for the last but, Saints uh, game, and I was horribly disappointed. Sure. I just want to feel something, Adam. Here's the thing. I, I don't. It's hard to go from that exciting Braves playoff run to this bullshit. I know. The the Hawks offseason has been more exciting than anything the Falcons have done to us in the last month. Amen. And Amen. it's not – one last thing on the Saints game. So how, how many times did Matt Ryan get hit a couple weeks ago? Like eight? Oh, it was obscene. I don't know. He was sacked He was sacked eight times. I think he was hit more than so that. The big thing to watch is James Carpenter got hurt last week pretty bad, had to get carted off the field. So now we get to see – our third round pick, Matt Hennessy, who is supposed to be our future center probably next year, assuming Alex Mack retires, he's going to be starting at, uh, what's he play, left guard, I think. So that mm-hmm. that could be bad news potentially for Matt Ryan in the protection, but maybe they make some adjustments. I don't, I don't know. But Carpenter has been like steady at least, enough to where that's not a rotation anymore where at the beginning of the year it was kind of – Hennessy and Carpenter rotating, but Carpenter took that job for himself. So, something to keep your eye on, Graham. Yeah, I think this will be a big test for that young man facing this these, these terrible Saints. And I say terrible not in that they're bad, but terrible in the, as in they're terrifying in terms of how good they are at rushing the quarterback. What? So this will be a, a, a big proving ground. And this is when you want to test your young guys. They didn't get their preseason, so now they get – this is essentially a preseason, well, against really good teams, but, you know, games yeah. that really – games he's, that, he's games that basically don't matter. Although if we were in the NFC East, I think we'd be leading that division right now. We'd be tied for That's the lead. That's ridiculous. Yeah, four and seven. That's how much of a joke – that much of a joke the NFC Philly, East John, is. John, your team's a joke. Your division's a joke. Which is why I think, Adam – this this whole thing of the NFC East because they suck every year, but this this year is sort of unprecedented by how much they suck. Usually, there's a team that's ten and six, and the rest of them are under five hundred or seven and nine or something or eight and eight. But this season, more than any, has made me want every single major sport to reconsider the way that they construct conferences, divisions, etc. I'm fine with conferences or leagues. Abolish divisions. Have everybody play everybody. As much as you can, so like don't like like let's not have two games against uh, the Saints every year or two games against Tampa Bay. It's like mix it up so that it feels like we can have a fairer playoff field because it's absolute bullshit that someone like New York Giants 
or the Eagles might go to the playoffs this year over, you know, a team that uh, I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head. But maybe there's another team out there that's like six and four in a good division that's going to miss the playoffs potentially. Well, I, I think the problem is what you know like, is actually you a good can team. do that in other sports because you play so many games, but in football you're only playing 16 games, so somebody could end up with a ridiculously unfair schedule, and that's why the division format does kind of make sense in this instance. That's that's true, but don't you think it's more unfair to teams uh, outside of the NFC East who are clawing and scraping for a playoff spot that they might not be able to go over some losers like the Giants? Well, that's just the way of the road sometimes, Bubs. you got to deal with it. I think there's a way to make – two conferences and still have a fair schedule for everybody or as fair as you can make it much fairer than what's going on right now this is an embarrassment in the nfl what's going on in the nfc East, yeah the damn giants are currently leading it at four and seven they've won three in a row that's unbelievable yeah and they're the fourth seed there will be the if the if by if the season ended today they're, they're the fourth seed they would get a home playoff game over a wild card winner who has better record than them that's just fucking bullshit oh, I'm, I'm i'm pulling giants all the way though their, their last three wins, too, at 19-17 over the Bengals, 27-17 over those terrible Eagles, and 23-20 over the Washington football team. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's just Almost pathetic. beat the Bucks. So, I would, like, I would like to see a change there, but I know it'll never happen. You want to talk some Atlanta Hawks basketball, Adam? Uh, sure. What, what, do you, what do you want to talk about? Well, Bogdan Bogdanovich met those of us who were lucky enough to grace his presence in the press corps today, myself not included. And uh, he's very excited to come to the Hawks. He also admitted that he forgot Clint Capella was on the team uh, and then was talking to him after he signed and was just telling Capella that he thinks the team is great and that the signing of guys like Gallinari and... Chris Dunn and Rajon Rondo was huge, uh, particularly bringing in, this is a quote from Bogdanovich, he says, particularly bringing in a guy from the championship team, it's really important. It's going to be really, really important for our young guys. And he thinks our team is a really, really good team, and we will make sure to show out every single night and to be 100% every night. Um, and he said, that's what I know the fans are expecting from us, and I think we are all hungry. So it was nice to hear him uh, eager and ready to go and recognizing that the time is now to kick some ass. And I think it's going to be a big boost for him, particularly playing in the Kings organization where they have apparently from what I read, some of the worst facilities in the NBA coming to Atlanta, these newly revamped facilities, the Emory healthcare connection, and also just having a good nucleus of guys around. I think that's going to make everybody or particularly him, who's just been on a, just a, a shit franchise for his entire career so far in the three years he's played, step his game up. And I think having Trey as the guy who's going to be feeding him the ball, I like I said last week, I expect Bogdan to be scoring 20-plus points a game and being an absolute terror from three-point range. You're going to have too many guys to guard. Um, I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. He said a lot of very valid things there, Graham. But I completely lost focus where you're saying that a part of the appeal for Bogdan coming to Atlanta is the Emory healthcare relationship with the team? Yes. <laughs> Explain yourself. No, that probably has nothing to do with it. But it's, the it facilities like in Atlanta. Straight from like a Hawks marketing promotional like tweet or something 
where you have no. to include every healthcare and whatever positive things you're saying about the Atlanta Hawks franchise. Oh, sure. No, I, I, that was off the top of the head. But it is the Hawks have been vaunted for how much they've done when Tony Ressler took over in terms of redefining basically NBA facilities. I mean, it's considered to be just top shelf and all uh, one of the top shelf uh, facilities in all the league and, and the top top shelf healthcare as well. Oh, there's the healthcare. Okay. Okay. Apparently it's just, it's supposed to be the best thing in the world. And apparently the Kings just are, are bad at not just on the court, but off the court as well. So, I mean, I would think, you know, if I'm an NBA player, I want to have the best fucking facilities I can, I can have, man. That's going to help me develop. I feel bad for the Hawks that the only way we attract free agents is if they're coming from a worse franchise. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true. Gallinari came from the Thunder, and they were they think they got to the semifinals last year. Oh, the Thunder are garbage, though. Like, that team's never winning a championship. Rajon Rondo was on the Lakers. They won, a, they won the NBA championship. I'm talking about, like, like Joe Johnson. Like, that was the, the biggest signing ever. Well, and it came in a horrible sign-and-trade where the owners ended up suing each other, but that's beside the point. It was from, like a Suns team where he couldn't play. So the, a player has to be coming from a worse situation to want to sign with the Hawks. But maybe now with this Emory healthcare connection, Graham, that, that could be it. I, I, I That's bet we why we started to get all these guys at him. Everybody, the word's gotten out and the facilities are outstanding. Man, I, I bet you're right. I bet they have, <laughs> I bet the bathrooms are top notch as well. A lot better than those shitholes they have in Sacramento. Yeah. I mean, who wants to live in Sacramento anyway? We all know L.A. is the real capital of California. That's a good point. That's a good point. But, yeah, I mean, I am say it every week. Stoked about this team. Bogdan, like, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that he he's a great ball handler as well. So we might get to see Trey play off the ball some, which is going to be super exciting. Who was I listening to? Some guy coaching up Trey Young. I don't think it was Lloyd Pierce. Maybe it wasn't Trey Young at all. Anyways, <laughs> talking about the value, like the reason Steph Curry is open all the time for those wide open threes is because of the way he moves off the ball, which is something Trey Young hasn't necessarily had the opportunity to do. So we might be able to see that a little bit this year when you can yeah. have a Rondo in there or let Bogdan do a little more of the ball handling. So it, it's it's going to be – I mean, I – I think I said this last week as well. My only concern is how all these pieces are going to fit together. The team chemistry is a DeAndre Hunter going to be okay. Only playing 15 minutes a night. It's Herder just going to disappear. I don't know what's going to happen. So yeah, there, I think there's that's a the lot cool of, there's a lot of bodies to force in there. Yeah. It's like, we don't know what the minute distribution is going to be like. I think that's the really fascinating part of it. It's like Gallinari could be a six man, you know, we, we have, we have no yeah. idea. Um, yeah. And and Bogdan was talking about this as well, saying that pretty much it's a great mixture of of really young players in their first, second, or third year. Guys have been around in the league for a little bit, and um, you know he thinks it's just a perfect mixture of, uh, of of players for success, and he's really happy to be a part of it. So it's not a genuine what he was saying. It wasn't just like oh, I'm so excited, I'm excited, I'm excited. It was like you know here are actually legitimate reasons to be excited, um, and he thinks the rebuilding is over. And that they're all about winning. So, fuck it. It seems like he's a very straightforward guy and uh, just wants to have fun with his new team and kick some butt. Kick some butt indeed, Graham. 
Yeah, yeah. he thinks he's going to mesh really well with Trey Young. Trey Young's got to be so excited right now. Oh yeah, I'm so I'm so happy for him. Like, imagine how many more. We were dead last in three point shooting percentage last year. Imagine. I saw I heard some stat today on 680 the fan where had we had these guys in place, I guess of all the people that sucked last last year, we would have been twelfth in the league in shooting mm. uh three pointer percentage. So like just imagine how many more assists a game that's gonna be for Trey. Like his numbers are gonna blow up. Oh yeah. I mean I think you know his point total might come down to like because he's twenty nine points last year, it might come down to like twenty three or twenty four. But his assists, he could be getting 15 dimes. Maybe not that many, but he could be averaging 13 assists a game. Something loony like that. I mean, I, I could easily see that happening because of this just influx of talent that's coming here. I mean, he's already getting over nine assists last year. So, yeah, he's. I think this is going to make Trey... I think he's already He's on the cusp of superstardom. He's really going to be eating it up next year. He, I, think, I think this is the year Trey Young will solidify himself as a superstar if he hasn't already, but I think this now they will be actually, you know, on a team that can maybe even contend a little bit as expected to at least get to the playoffs. I mean, I think this is the time for him to really, really shine on a good team. One last thing on, on Bogdan, Adam, uh, you want to know yes. the reason why he left Sacramento? Hmm. I would love to know that reason, Graham. He said that the Kings did not make any moves in the off season. And to that he said, he, and to that he said, I was like, okay, I'm ready to leave. Hell yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm still shocked by the Bogdan signing. Like I thought like Rondo and Gallinari were going to be it, but I mean, that's just huge. I mean, that's, that's our starting two. Like, yeah, it's should be like Atlanta might be a free agency spot now. Who knows? This is if they get to the playoffs and they win a playoff round, I think it will be. That has to happen, though. Yeah, you have to show that there's promise. If they, if this, the thing that concerns me the most about about this team right now is that the season starts in like eight or nine days or something like that, and all these guys just got signed in the last like week or two. They got to come together really fast, really, really fast. And I think we are going to hit some road bumps initially, but I think it'll it'll play out and be just fine as the season progresses. But it is one of the many negatives of this weird. Uh, sort of sports world we live in it's just like uh, off seasons are just totally fucked up you get NFL with no preseason uh, MLB with like some bizarre summer training and now a very shortened NBA off season uh, along with like the draft and free agency happening like back to back like you know barely before the damn season starts it's just so odd so that's just something we got to deal with and hopefully this team can put it together yeah I mean they can't even work out together for like another week or so. I think yeah. preseason's like next on the 11th, maybe something like that. And they can't, they get like a couple days to work out together before starting to play the preseason. Then it's like eight days and then the season starts. So, right. We're kind of notorious for those slow starts though, over the past few years as well. Mm-hmm. So hopefully just don't dig yourself a Dan Morris type hole right. early in the season kind of tread water until you get your feet under you. That's what, that's what we got to hope for. Yeah. So Ooh, one more thing about the Hawks, Adam. What do you John got? Collins reportedly said that the con- his contract is the first thing on his mind when he goes to the gym now. Do you think this could become a distraction for our boy? 
Hell yeah. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like damn Devontae talk right there. At least he's not saying he's the best power forward in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, the, sh- the Schlenk's motto is that he'll give out max contracts, but not to players who aren't deserving of a max contract. So is John Collins a max contract player? That's that's what you got to ask yourself. Yeah, and, and I, I imagine he's going to demand that. And are we going to give him that? I don't know. Should we give him that? Is really the question. And I'm, I don't know. Is that with, you got to think with, about how that how how does that hurt you for the rest of your cap in terms of being able to sign a legitimate, you know, super super superstar. Yeah, I mean, you you either got to sign him or trade him. We can't let him walk at the end of the year. No, it can't that's, be an Al Horford, Paul Millsap exactly. situation. Can't yeah. be dealing with that shit again. That's all I ask. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know there's there's a lot of teams out there that would love to have him. So maybe let the season start, show what he can do, and if if you're not going to sign him, then flip him for something. Right. It's a pretty big chip to have. Yeah, it did concern me to hear him say that uh, the contract's the first thing on his mind. I mean, normally, even if it was, guys would downplay that. But to me, that lets me know that this is a guy that can let distractions get in his way from the mission. Because he's going to get paid no matter what. So it's like, why not just let your play do the talking, let your agent figure it out, and just go play basketball? I mean, easy for me to say, but... You know, that that would be my that I would try that would, you know, obviously you're going to think about it. Realistically, you're going to think about it. But for that to be the first thing on your mind is a bit disconcerting to me. Well, and you got to think, well, A, it's easier for Bogdan to say all the right thing in his press conferences after just getting $72 million. Right. And you got to think John Collins, a part of him thought it was, well, that was supposed to be my money. So... I, I do think we're going to have some chemistry issues unless Lloyd Pierce is just an amazing coach, which we we still don't know. Right, and all evidence kind of points to him not being the best with team chemistry. Yeah, man, so, something to watch. But yeah, that I do not like that uh, that little uh, John Collins line you just gave me there. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a concern, but. We'll have to see how it plays out as the season progresses. I think that wraps up this show, Adam. Hopefully this was better than last week. We want to thank you all for listening uh, wherever and however you listen to the show. And we'll see you next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, mix it up, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitometer Sip. Hospitometer Sip.